Welcome to the TBE Richmond Podcast. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On this feed, you'll hear sermons, teachings, music, conversations with guests, and so much more from us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia. Thanks for learning and growing with us. Shabbat shalom. Today's Parsha properly introduces us to one of the most fascinating people in the entire Torah, Joseph. There's even a musical about him that's been in near constant production for the last, believe it or not, 50 years. <laughs> Despite the fact that he is neither among the ranks of the patriarchs nor a great leader of the Jewish people, Joseph's story endures to this day. Actually, simply saying his story endures is to undersell his legacy. Unique among those in the Torah, he is known as Yosef Hatzadik, Joseph the Righteous. So what exactly has he done to earn this remarkable title? Well, it's certainly not his story at the start of this Parsha. After a very brief introduction, the first thing Joseph does is run to his father, Jacob, with bad reports about what his brothers are doing. Whether because of that or simply because the Torah is moving out with the story, the next thing we learn is that Joseph is Jacob's favorite son, and he receives the legendary multicolored coat, tunic, whatever it is, from his father. It appears that despite his lifetime of running an extremely tense, though ultimately successful reunion with Esau last week, Jacob still hasn't quite learned the lesson of what happens when parents openly favor one child. (laughs) We then immediately jump into Joseph's two dreams. The first where his brothers all have sheaves of wheat that bow down to his sheaf of wheat. And the second where the sun, the moon and 11 stars all bow down to Joseph directly. Not surprisingly, this makes Joseph's brothers dislike him even more than they already did, or as might point out, they hate him. Um, And the latter dream even makes Jacob angry, asking if Joseph intends his mother and father to bow down to him. Now, I can understand Joseph retelling the first dream a bit. It's certainly an unusual thing to have happen, and Joseph didn't really have anyone else to share it with. But the second, by that point, he knows what everyone's feelings are and what their reactions will be. And Joseph is no fool. The entirety of his life story is one of intelligence and cleverness. He's fully aware what the result will be if he tells these stories, and he does so anyway. Seems to run in the family, doesn't it? Younger brothers who just can't help but be incredibly obnoxious towards their older siblings. In some ways, you could actually argue Joseph handles the situation even worse than his father did. After Jacob deceived Esau, he at least had the awareness and common sense, and Rebecca's advice, to get out of Dodge before Esau could go after him. Joseph, meanwhile, continues to blithely spend time with his brothers, even after the bad reports and the dreams and the fancy cloak and all of it. Whether Joseph is so self-absorbed that he doesn't recognize how angry they are, or so cocky that he thinks he'll be fine, he makes them so infuriated they vow to kill him. It's only Ruvain's quick thinking that gets Joseph tossed in a pit instead of murder on the spot. From there, the story is one I think everyone knows. Joseph is sold into slavery, ends up in Egypt. He becomes the overseer of the house of the Egyptian noble Potiphar. He rejects the advances of Potiphar's wife. She accuses Joseph of trying to force himself on her. He ends up in jail. The baker and butler have dreams. Joseph interprets those dreams correctly. The butler is freed and thus ends the entirety of the Parsha. We only had a third of that today. (laughs) Joseph's story will continue over the next several Parshiot, but spoiler alert, We're going to talk about the end of his story shortly. So then, with all of that out there, how do we understand the story of Joseph? 
what do we do with this man who finds sticking together himself in between two major sections of our history, but not truly belonging to either? And even more than that, what on earth has he done to receive the designation of Hat Sadiq, the righteous? He seems, frankly, a thoroughly unlikable person, at least in this Parsha. He does some good, like saving an innocent man from the gallows. That seems to be more of him showing off a skill, dream interpretation, than actively being a good person. I promise we'll deal with that Sadiq business in a bit. I'm not going to leave you hanging on that. But there's another important aspect of Joseph's story and how we understand it. As I mentioned before, Joseph isn't a patriarch. We all know the Amidah. We mentioned Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Joseph gets left out. In fact, as far as I know, and Cantor can correct me on this, Joseph isn't mentioned in any of our prayers. Not just that, but unlike his brothers, Joseph doesn't even end up with a tribe named after him in future generations. He also doesn't become a great leader of the Israelites slash Jewish people in the way Moses would 300 years later. Uh, again, spoiler alert for the Parsha in two weeks' time, he helps get his family, and by extension all of our ancestors, to Egypt, and they survive a massive famine because of it. But most of the people he interacts with are, in fact, Egyptian. By the way, even that doesn't stick. The Torah tells us Joseph dies, and then, Vayakam melech chadash al-Mitzrayim asher lo yada ed Yosef. A new pharaoh arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. That's the start of the book of Shemot, the book of Exodus. Just like that, Joseph is gone and his story is done. A singular moment, really a singular tale, and that's it. And yet Joseph is viewed as fascinating and beloved in equal measure. So yet again, I ask, why? Why is Joseph such a key part of our story? It is in part, I think, because Joseph is so remarkably human. He doesn't speak with God, at least not in the way that his, his great-grandfather, his grandfather, and his father did. He isn't given some grand quest. He's just a person. He argues with his brothers, as siblings do. They have a particularly nasty falling out. And Joseph eventually has the self-awareness to go through some pretty significant personal growth. So he's ready when he sees his brothers again. It's also because Joseph is the vital connection between the age of the patriarchs in Canaan and the rise of Moses and the full Israelite people in Egypt. Without Joseph, Jacob's family never comes to Egypt. They all starve in the famine that rips through the region, and all of us cease to exist, I guess? Instead, Joseph bridges that gap and allows for our story to continue. In Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, there are said to be 10 sefirot, 10 emanations that make up the world. Many of these are associated with specific people in our history. Abraham with chesed, kindness. Isaac, guvurah, strength. Jacob, tiferet, balance. And what of Joseph? He's associated with Yesod, foundation. Yesod is the foundation of all reality in Kabbalah, the sefirah on which all the others rest. More than that, the Kabbalists tell us that Yesod is the transmitter, the connection between the Sphirot above and reality below. Joseph is that Yesod for the Jewish people. His life story, the things done to him and by him, build the foundation for all of us and create the connection between a regional story about one family to a worldwide nation of so many people, of all of us. Without the things Joseph did, without his remarkably productive reaction to the terrible things that happened, and without the sense of self and pride to keep him on the right path, None of this exists. His life is the connection that makes this possible. So now, finally, back to the original question I posed. How is Joseph Hatzadik the righteous? He does many great things in his life, 
But greatness on a material intrinsic level doesn't make you righteous. He must do something else during that remarkable title. Many commentators point to the incident with Potiphar's wife of Joseph's refusal to do as she desired, as that is the moment that makes him righteous. That strikes me as a very low bar. Don't get me wrong, it's both good and right that Joseph turned her down, but didn't I sleep with your boss's wife? Seems like a far too easy thing to do to be called righteous. <laughs> Others say that Joseph was humble with his power or that he kept his faith in God in a very non-Jewish Egypt. But here I'm inclined to agree with award-winning author and Holocaust survivor, Elie Wiesel. Wiesel points out that on the former, Joseph may be outwardly humble, but he's always looking for a leg up or his next move, admittedly, often in the help of his family. On the latter point, it's certainly true that Joseph never wavers from his faith in God, but he also becomes a very high-ranking Egyptian official and is more than happy to take parts in many aspects of that society. No, I think what makes Joseph truly righteous is he forgives his brothers what they did to him. At a moment when he could have very easily exacted revenge on his brothers, or even just done nothing and told them they can deal with it themselves, he steps up and helps them. In doing so, even more importantly, he breaks three generations of conflicts between brothers of escalating severity. Isaac doesn't send Ishmael away himself, but he makes no effort to connect to his half-brother and doesn't see him again till his father's death. Jacob is encouraged by his mother, but he takes the actions to steal Esau's birthright and ends up fleeing from their home. The two men eventually find peace, but it takes decades and a lot of moving parts. And after that reconciliation, they go their separate ways. Joseph is a self-centered jerk, and his brother's rage is near homicidal. It appears the cycle of strife and violence will continue. It could have. Joseph had every opportunity to get his revenge and dig the proverbial knife in deeper on his brothers. But Joseph has been stripped of his fancy cloak, of his dignity, of his freedom, and very nearly of his life. It is only when he has reduced the core of who he is, when he is at his lowest point, that he has the moment of self-reflection and self-realization he needs and from which his growth can occur. It doesn't take an army or a lifetime. After a bit of courtly posturing, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and welcomes them with open arms. The reunion isn't a brief moment either, as the entirety of Joseph's family comes to Egypt to join him for the rest of their lives. It is in that moment that Joseph becomes the tzaddik, the righteous one. A man, ordinary by Torah standards, neither patriarch nor great leader, forgives his brothers who hurt him so deeply. He recognizes his faults and theirs, and shows compassion in helping them move to Egypt and break the cycle of abuse and violence that had quickly become a hallmark of Abraham's descendants. In short, he makes a choice, a conscious decision. He needs to resist the temptation and do what is right. By doing that, he becomes the Yesod, the connection between the eras of Israelites and the foundation for the Jewish people of today. I'll leave the final word here to Elie Wiesel. One is not born at Sadiq. One must strive to become one. And having become at Sadiq, one must strive to remain one. May we all strive to be tzaddikim in our lives and to all those around us. Shabbat shalom. This has been the TBE Richmond Podcast. Once again, I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On behalf of all of us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia, thanks for listening. I hope this episode was uplifting and enriching. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. And please rate and review us so others will have an easier time joining the conversation. 
Our theme music is composed and produced by Stephen Frost. Learn more about our dynamic, warm, and passionate congregation affiliated with the United Synagogue of Conservative Judaism at www.bethelrichmond.org. Until next time, shalom y'all.